so far during this series, Sid's spoken on a, a few different things that biblically ties into where we are. Um, we talked about whose is it, and that the fact that everything we possess, whether it's, it's money, possessions, uh, anything, it is God's, and it's not ours. And uh, we are commanded through God's word, which is what we'll talk about a lot today, of how to use those resources for his glory and not ours. How much is too much? Um, if you watch a lot of movies, you see a lot of guys say one dollar more, and it's sad because they live their life that way. And they don't realize that God is already giving them the, the tools and, and the resources that he desires for them to have. Not your desires, but his. And discontentment. Why, as Americans, are, are we always looking for more? Whether it's, it's something newer or nicer, whether it's a few dollars more, whether it's uh, a bigger house or a nicer car. And then we send teams to South America and we see that, you know, these, these people have sometimes more joy than we do and they have nothing. And, and what are we missing as, as Americans? What, what is it that is, is causing us to, to live life this way? Today I want to focus on the practical side of money. We're going to look at what the scripture has to say, but we're also going to look at how we can use our money properly for, for God's glory. And, you know, I've, I've read a lot of books um, over the last probably 15 years as, as the area of personal finance has been, been something that uh, I've just enjoyed studying and learning about. And about five or six years ago, I read a book called The Total Money Makeover by Dave Ramsey. That book is what changed kind of my philosophy on, on the way I handle money and on life in general. And a lot of the material you will see comes from him. Uh, we'll play a couple of videos, one funny and one that uh, on giving that really impacted my life. And uh, hopefully through his theories, uh, you will find something that you can take with you uh, after you leave here today that might have an impact on yours. We want to talk a little bit about how to be a better steward of God's resources. We're going to talk about how to put in a good cash flow plan. We're not going to use negative words like budget, which everyone hates. And we're also going to look at how to get out of debt and the blessings of giving. Breaking the bondage of debt and financial burden can have an impact on so many levels of your life. I mean, if you think back of the stressful times of your life, it can have an impact on your health, your marriage, your job, your children. It, it covers so many different levels that, to me, it, it's heartbreaking. You know, obviously, you know, Tom and Sandy deal with so many couples, and Sometimes it deals with communication, and sometimes it deals with money, and, and they hear all these stories. And when they share of, of couples ending up in divorce because of money fights, it, I don't understand it, and it blows my mind because education of how to handle this can completely change um, your attitude towards money 
can it completely change the heritage and the legacy that we go to live? I'm really excited that the kids are in here this morning. Uh, We've taught three FPU classes, Financial Peace University, David Ramsey courses at Heritage, but the biggest opportunity and I guess gratifying experience I had was whenever I was able to teach seniors for one year the FPU course. And to be able to show 17 and 18 year olds how to start out life the right way when it comes to money. You know, who does credit card companies prey on? College kids. Get a free t-shirt, we give you a credit card. $500 limit. And as soon as you max out the 500, we'll raise it to 1,000. And before you know it, you leave college with student loans, credit card debt, and uh, you're already behind going into life. And so uh, if education-wise, we, if you can learn as parents and pass that on to your kids, that's where leaving a legacy of faith can really have an impact on their future. Let's talk a little bit about stewardship. Uh, I'm sure Sid has already said before already, biblically, stewardship is a manager, not an owner. And once we grasp that concept of managing and not ownership, we'll have a better grasp on what we're looking at. So let me propose this question to you. If you were to look at your finances right now, whether it's personally or if you own a business in business, and you hired, had to hire someone to manage your money, would you hire yourself? And for a lot of people, that answer would be no. Or if you looked at your financial situation right now, would you want your children in the same position once they got your age? And if both those answers are no, then you know it's time to change. And it's time to really look at where you're at and uh, allow God to work in your life. Philippians 4.19 says, And this same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from, this, from his glorious riches, which has been given to us in Christ Jesus. The same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs. At the ground level, the foundation of money, that's what it boils down to, our needs. You notice, and we all get into it, it doesn't say, my God will supply all your wants. It will be the needs, just as Matthew 31 through 33 says. So don't worry about these things saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Seek first the kingdom of God and above all else and live righteously, and he will give everything you need. That's our promise as Christians. If we would just get rid of the worry and the stress of money and and having bigger and better and understand that God has already promised us to, to supply our needs. And when we get back to that foundation and we allow God to work in our life, those stresses will all go away. You know, as Christians, when we accept Christ as our Savior, we know by faith and faith alone that when we leave this world, we go to heaven. And we hold on to that truth. And that's it's not hard for us as Christians. You know, we're going to a place that we've never seen. But when it comes to money, 
we struggle to follow God's word. And that's, that's a struggle for a lot of people, and, and it's something I still haven't grasped, except for one thing, and that's fear and fear alone. Why do we fear that God will not provide our needs? So what do we do? We borrow to fill that gap and to supply those needs. We borrow more money on credit cards. We uh, borrow money for vehicles. We borrow money for homes to fill that gap and, and to say, you know what, God, you're not going to supply my needs. I'm going to supply it for you. A lot of, a lot of the time and, and some of the understanding we need to get to are the differences between men and women. So let's take a, let's take a little bit of time to, to look at that. Men view their finances and their possessions as a scorecard. We are, it's kind of in our DNA to be competitive. So we look at um, the more money I have, the higher I rank. The more possessions I have, the higher I rank. But what people don't realize, my daughter for one, man, dad, they must be really rich. They drive a nice car. Well, not if that nice car is $800 a month. They're not real rich. Or, man, Dad, they, they're, that's a nice house. They must be really rich. Not with a million-dollar loan on it, they're not. So the concepts of especially young people and us as, as older adults is we view things the wrong way. For women, money security. Um, they... They want to make sure they're there to be taken care of. That, that money is there to feed their children, to put a roof over their head, to clothe their children. So there's a, there's a big difference in the mentality of men and women as it comes to possessions and to money. Let me throw a, a scenario out there that maybe some of you have experienced. Men and women go to a mall. We need a black belt. A man's going to walk to the belt rack, pull off the cheapest belt he can find, go to the register, and walk out the door, and mission accomplished. Now, not to, I'm going to poke fun at some men later, too. Women might go through 28 different stores in the mall to find the right black belt for the best price and think they've done the same, same job. Okay? Women are hunters. Now, some of our men from Sumter County, they hunt with guns and arrows and shoot animals. <coughs> Women's job of hunting is to find the best deal out there, and that's great. That saves money. But mentally, we have different concepts of money and shopping. And there are main differences between men and women when it comes to that. And the more we understand that, the more we appreciate the process, especially as we deal with our communication with one another and money. Men also like doing the car shopping. They like to negotiate the deal. They like to come home and rip open the shirt with Superman and say, honey, I just saved $5,000 on the car purchase. You know, and the wife gives them a big hug and she's proud and everybody, everybody wins. But right now, as you look at your money situation, what attitude do you have towards money right now? Is it depression? Is it fear? Is there conflict in your marriage? Is your spending out of control? 
Or are you in a position right now where you're content? You feel like you have everything you need, you're using your money for God's purposes, and you're happy where you are right now in your situation. As we start the process, if you are financially in debt and getting out of debt, we first have to realize that debt is an attitude before it's an action. Okay? We mentally, for some reason, got into debt. We mentally have to process ourselves to get out of debt. It's, it's no different than losing weight. It, you mentally, everybody can go on a, a certain diet, the new fat out there, but after you lose 20 pounds and you look back six months later and the 20 pounds is back on, nothing mentally is registered. It's just a, a, a time, it's just a phase in your life. And money can be the same way. There are, Dave Ramsey talks about there's two people in every couple. If those of you in class, you remember, there's a nerd and there's a free spirit. Okay? The nerds are usually the person who pays all the bills. They do your check register, they balance the checkbook. Uh, they are uh, in charge if you're already on a budget, on, a bre on the uh, on handling the budget. The free, the free spirit does not like the burden of numbers. They'd rather party and not get bogged down with financial issues. So as we look back, think in your mind, which one are you? If you're the nerd of your family, let me see a hand. All right, if you're the free spirit, let me see your hand. See there? We, we got our first yeah, baby. That's what we like. <laughs> so here's how we start the process. Nerds have to start the cash flow plan. Okay, you're in charge of the cash flow plan. You're in charge of setting it up. You're in charge of crunching the numbers. You're in charge of getting all the information together about debt, about spending. You're in charge of all of it. And the first thing you have to do both parties have to be involved, is you have to track every penny for the first 30 days. Okay? When I've counseled people and I've given them that homework, half of them don't come back after 30 days. <laughs> and you know why? I'll give you my reasoning why. My reason why is they're ashamed and scared to bring before me what they're spending their money on. Because that's when the truth is told. Okay? It can, it can be on anything. It can be on guns and bows and arrows. It can be on sports tickets. It can be on excessive shopping. It could be on too much cable bill. It can be on so many different things. But I just truly feel when they don't show back up, it's because they're not mentally ready to change. And number two is they're ashamed of what they're spending their money on. So homework number one for everybody involved or everybody who wants to make that change. Track your 30, your 60, and your 90 days. And the reason we do that is sometimes bills come quarterly. Uh, sometimes different times throughout the year things change with birthday parties, with anniversaries, with Christmas, with whatever the situation might be, with summer vacations. Things change. So just keep that going and uh, actually throughout the year track that for one whole year. 
here is the first situation for the nerd that you have to address, okay? Every month you have to have a cash flow plan meeting, okay? That's the only way you set the budget for the next month, you get everything down so you and your wife know exactly what you have and what you're spending your money on. And there's some rules for the nerd, okay? When you have your monthly meeting, you have to shut up and let the free spirit speak. Okay? A lot of times as nerds, you're going to listen to what I say, you're going to do with your money what I'm going to tell you to do, and you're going to just sit there and listen. So you've got to allow them to speak. Number two, you have to allow the free spirit to change one thing in your budget. Okay? Now that's really going to be frustrating for the nerd, but you have to do it. Now for my free spirits. First thing you have to do is actually show up for the meeting. All right, you're not allowed to take a rain check or skip the meeting. You have to be there. Yeah. Number two is you got to bring your brain. All right, you can't leave it in the other room. You got to bring it with you and focus on what's, and you actually have to change something. So when the nerd gives you that opportunity to change that one thing, you have to change it. Now, whether it means adding a little bit to the grocery budget or a little bit, you know, to the spending budget, you have to make a change. If you Google budgets, you're going to find a ton of different budgets. And, you know, I thought about putting one up on a slide, but it really doesn't make sense to do that because everybody's lifestyle is going to be different. And so researching that budget and finding out what works for you is, and for your family is, is the best thing you can do. Okay, you've got things like uh, the envelope system, which works for a lot of people. You set aside cash, you use that cash. When the cash is up at the end of the month, you're done. Okay, you have, uh, you can live off one paycheck. Um, obviously for some, if, if uh, one of the spouses is a stay-at-home spouse, you only have one income to live off anyway. So you can put all your focus there. Uh, you can work off a 10-10-80 a plan. Give 10%, save 10%, spend 80%. So there's a lot of different ways. Even if you look at some budgets, they will even have percentages. What percentage your mortgage, what kind of uh, bracket it should be in, how much for groceries, how much for utilities. Uh, they can get very detailed, and Dave Ramsey's website has a lot of uh, great tools for that. Proverbs 21.5 says, good planning and hard work lead to prosperity, but hasty shortcuts lead to poverty. Good planning with the monthly cash flow plans is what will set you on track and give you that plan to succeed when it comes to your money. Now, as you look at your spending and, and you look at your cash flow plan, if your consumer debt, things like student loans, credit cards, auto loans, if they equal more than 15% or 20% of your net income, which is income after taxes, your, your take-home pay, you're in trouble. And you really need to focus on step two that we're about to talk about here because that number has to get down. And the goal is to get it down to zero. I mean, obviously, to be debt-free, to be rid of the burden of being bound down and stressed out over money is, is the goal of all this. 
as a couple, when it comes to spending, the one thing I can recommend is that as a family, you set a dollar amount that says, I will not purchase anything over this limit without your agreement. Whether that means going home and, and, and sleeping over it and, of course, praying over it and coming back the next day and say, yes, this is something we need for our family. Um, have that set in mind so you don't run the risk of, of overspending or run the risk of getting into an argument about spending too much. There's a, uh, a statistic out by uh, Dun and Bradstreet that found when you spend money with cash, you spend 12 to 18% less than when you spend with a credit card. That's part of the envelope system too. You're, you're taking that cash to buy groceries. You're taking that cash to buy clothes. You're taking that cash to uh, give your kids for lunches or, or whatever the situation might be. Using a credit card is easy. You don't register mentally the, the price. It's just swipe and you're done. And it's getting easier and easier. Credit card companies aren't dumb people. All right, they, they know when you use that credit card, you're going to spend more. I think it was McDonald's did a study, and the, when they went to accepting credit cards, the normal person's bill went from $4 and some change to over $7. Because you know what? Go ahead and biggie size that. Go ahead and add a milkshake. Go ahead and add a dessert, because I'm not spending that cash, and it's a lot easier to swipe that, that uh, credit card. Let's put up the slide on the impact of advertising. Most of you have... Uh, you know, been around a little bit. And I just want to, to show you 1954. When I give it, you give me the answer. Melts in your mouth, not in your hands. That's 1954, and you still remember it today. Things go better with you deserve a have it your and my favorite with the old lady, where's the Wendy's. Advertising has a major impact on our spending. We remember jingles. We remember slogans like this. Don't think that when you go to the mall, that's not registering somewhere in your mind that you're, or, or you're driving through looking for something to eat. Those things register in my, your mind and drive you to these places and drive you to spend. They're smart people. I just, I, it has nothing to do with the lesson, but I thought it was funny. Um, so uh, think about that, though, as you're spending. Now, Dave Ramsey is famous for seven baby steps. So uh, let's go through those seven real quick. Baby step one is a thousand dollar emergency fund. Step number two is the debt snowball. Step number three, three to six months of living expenses. Step number four, invest 15 percent of your income. Step five is college funding. Step six is pay off the house early. Step seven is build wealth and give. So as you look at step one, some of you, you've got the $1,000 emergency fund. For others, emergency fund. I don't have a dollar in my checking account, much less an emergency fund. So that's got to be step one. And, and the reason is, is because life happens. Okay, The minute you think, I'm done borrowing money and I'm done with debt, you got to replace your tires. You got to buy a new refrigerator. Got to buy a new washing machine. I got to go to the doctor. 
life happens, and that's what the emergency fund is for. Normally, statistically, the emergency fund will take you about 30 days. Okay? If you're single and you make somewhere in the 20000 range, you, could, you can knock your emergency fund to about $500. But have that in place, and if you have to use it and you're on one of the other baby steps, go back to step one, get it back to 1000 and start back over. Where we are as Americans, when I started doing some, uh, some checking, it's, it's really shocking to me, and I want uh, everybody to look at this next slide of where we are in debt. Maybe. As of May of 2011, Americans were $798.3 billion in debt, and about 98% of that is credit card. The average credit card debt per family is $6,772 as of March of 2012. In 2010, there was 1.5 million bankruptcies just in America. In 1968, and these are in current dollars, there was $8 billion in credit card debt. Forty years later, we're at $798 billion. Life has changed in the last 40 years. The mindset of my generation, of our generation, is want, 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 want at any means necessary. 25% of U.S. households have a zero net worth or a negative net worth. Net worth, assets minus liabilities equals net worth. Majority of that are houses upside down. We bought in the boom. We got interest-only loans. We got great interest rates. Let's go out and buy homes we can't afford. Let's go out and buy a second home. Real estate market tanks. You're still holding that mortgage. Zero net worth, negative net worth. Okay? You're going to see a common theme when it comes down to this of just the mentality of, of money. Now, how, I'm on step two. I need to do the debt snowball. How do I get out of debt? First thing you got to do is quit borrowing money. If that means you got to take a, a pair of scissors, which in FPU we do in our class, we have a credit card execution. We take scissors and we cut them up. If it means you doing, ha having to do that to stay out of debt, cut them up, get them out. I've heard of some people putting them in water, putting them in the freezer. So if you get the credit card, you at least got to wait a few hours for it to thaw out before you can get it back out. Do whatever you need to do to keep from using that credit card. Second thing you got to do is you got to save a little bit of money. Okay, the only way to pay off debt is to find ways through your cash flow plan to save some extra money. Sell something. Everybody can have a garage sale. Everybody has something that maybe they're in debt with, whether it's, sorry, fishermen, whether it's a boat that you don't use and you need to sell or a motorcycle or whatever the situation might be, find something to sell, get out of debt. Some of you temporarily might have to take a part-time job or work overtime. I am all about spending as much time with my family as possible, but to get out of debt and to get that stress out of your life, you might have to work a little overtime, take a part-time job, save up some money, start paying off that debt, and you got to move, use the debt snowball. Now, a couple thoughts um, before we look at how the debt snowball works. 
try to keep from borrowing against depreciating assets, okay? Depreciating assets, cars, boats, motorcycles, anything like that. You know, they say in, in five years, the average vehicle from driving off the lot goes down about 70%, okay? Try to pay cash for those things. Don't borrow, pay interest on those type of depreciating assets. In the first month, you're unable to pay off your credit card in full, quit using it, okay? If you don't have that mindset that, you know what, it's okay to use that credit card because I pay it off every month, fine. If that's the way uh, you can live your life and you can be that disciplined, then do it. But if you can't, rip it up. All right, let's look at the, uh, how the debt snowball works. We got six debts right here. You see the balance here and the minimum payment. So as you start looking at your budget and your cash flow plan, you want to make sure that you pay the minimum payment on every debt. And then we start working at the $150 balance and we try to pay it off as quick as possible. Once you knock that one out, you take that minimum payment and the extra money you have and you put towards number two. And you pay off that $250 as soon as possible. And you just start working your way down. Now, when Dave Ramsey has done his statistics on the debt snowball, it usually takes between 18 and 24 months to be financially free. Now, obviously, this is, uh, again, consumer debt. It's not your mortgage. Um, it, it might not be some enormous medical bills you have that you have to work through. These are your credit cards, your auto loans, your student loans, uh, anything like that. That's how we're going to use the, the debt snowball. Let me tell you about two couples that are right here in your church. Okay? If you don't think this works, this is living proof. Couple number one, $85,000 in two and a half years. Okay? Big number. Two and a half years of blood, sweat, and tears. Two and a half years of living not like what, how the rest of the world lives, of having a second job. Okay? Couple number two, $50,000 in one year. They became disciplined in how they spent their money. And I truly believe in that situation, God blessed his business. And because he was a good steward of God's money, God blessed him with more. When you pay off one of these debts, reward yourself. Because you might say, you know what, we just can't go out to eat anymore. Take your family out to eat somewhere. You know what, we hadn't been to the movies in a while. Do something special with your kids. Enjoy the process. And don't be scared to have your family involved in the process. You might not be able to, you know, you don't want to scare them off that mommy and daddy's in trouble, you know, and have a big number like $100,000 sitting on a refrigerator. But the life lessons you can tell them now can have an impact on their life where they say, you know what, I remember as a family when we had to stop spending, when we couldn't go out and when we couldn't have fun, and I want to make sure I never get into that position one day. Dave Ramsey talks about the debt snowball as being gazelle intensity. And uh, we're about to watch a video of how he came up with that term 
and uh, and then a little uh, a funny video he goes along with it and to have the desire to be freed from the bondage of debt, you're going to have to be aggressive. You're going to have to be intentional on how you spend your money. And you're going to have to make sure every purchase and every dollar spent has a reason and a need to it and not just a want. Let's go ahead and play that video. I've been studying this for a couple of decades now while I've been doing it and teaching it both. And literally millions and millions of families have tried these ideas. So I'm starting to see trends because so, the numbers are so big now. I'm seeing things that are in common, common characteristics across these groups of people. And one of the things I kept hearing on the radio show and when I would meet people in person, they had this thing in their voice. The ones that were going to make it, the ones that weren't going to be a goat, the ones that were going past the bare spot, that were going over the top, that were going to make it, they were going to get out of debt. They had this thing. It's like an attitude. It's like, all right, what do I got to do? This is it. Do it, do it, do it, do it. And then I'd have other ones that would call in and go, well, dude, this is kind of like entertaining, sort of, kind of, how would you maybe do this, sort of, kind of, what's your strategy? And I'm going, you're not going to make it. Well, why, man? You got to, I don't know, you got to go get mad or something. These other people got something going on that you, you know, we got to hit you or something to get you, get you a little upset. You know what I'm saying? You got to get, got to get fired up about this somehow. And, 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 and I've been studying it, and then I was, I was reading through Proverbs, you know, there's 31 Proverbs. And so if you read one proverb a day, it's, it's a good one a day. If you don't do anything else, that's a good one. And even if you're not a Christian, it's okay. Just read one a day. I mean, because if you read it over and over and over again, eventually you get a master's degree in finance. It's in Proverbs. Okay? <laughs> and, and really, it is. And, and so I'm reading along, and, and I've read through them several times, and I hit this one one morning. It was kind of interesting. It, it said, it was Proverbs 6, 1 through 7. It said, if you've signed surety, my son, do this. Now, I had a spiritual awakening several years ago. I had a real spiritual revival. I had a spiritual discovery. I figured out God is smarter than me. <laughs> and so when I'm reading along and it says, if you're doing this and you don't want to be, do this. I go, uh-huh, okay, this is important. Write this one down. So if you're in debt, surety is an old English Bible term for gone into debt, okay? If you've signed surety, my son, if you've got yourself in debt, do this. I'm like, okay, there it is. There, there's, something, there's a big deal here. Give no sleep to your eyes, no slumber to your eyelids, and deliver yourself like a gazelle from the hand of the hunter and a bird from the hand of the fowler. And I went, gazelles, birds? I'm not using that. I don't understand. I don't get it. It's a nice little animal metaphor, but, I mean, we'll talk about it in Sunday school class, but, I mean, if you're in debt, what's a gazelle got to do with it? And that was honestly my reaction. Some of you don't pray that way, but that was my reaction. And, and, and the truth is, that night I was scanning the channels, I was channel flipping, and I hit the Discovery Channel. And, and on the Discovery Channel were the gazelles. They were out there gazelling around. And I thought to myself, if you're in debt, deliver yourself like the gazelle from the hand of the hunter, the bird from the hand of the fowler. This is how you get out of debt. And I'm watching there a minute, and you know, you know if it's the Discovery Channel that the gazelles aren't there by themselves. I mean, you know somebody else is around, right? I mean, Mr. Cheetah is there looking for lunch. And the gazelles, you know, they have a little cheetah detector right behind their ear, and they see the cheetah, they go, uh-oh, cheetah! Run! And I'm thinking, whoa, this is how you get out of debt. It's like life or death. you got to bust it, man. you got to run like you're on fire. The way you get out of debt is you go, 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 go. You're getting ready to be a gazelle burger. This is how you get out of debt. And, and, and you know, 
I'm watching this thing unfold, and I'm thinking, man, this guy's fast. And the Discovery Channel came on and said, you know, the, gazelle, the cheetah is the fastest mammal on dry land. This bad boy can go from zero to 47 miles an hour in four leaps. The fastest animal on dirt. And he's trying to eat the gazelle. This is how you get out of debt. You run! And look what he did. He picked out, he picked out the little one. He got him a college student. Hey! Don't you need a collar? Don't you need a pizza? Come here. I got a t-shirt for you. Come here. Come here. Come here. I got something you need. Here's how you get out of that. You got to run. You got to go. 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 you ever want to get fired up about getting out of debt, you just keep watching that over and over again because it, it still gives me chills because he has that desire to see families succeed. He has that desire to not want people to go through the financial stresses of what happened. And I wish I had that much enthusiasm. I mean, I, w I went up to his place for financial counseling training and, and the man in person is the same way he is on that video. He's got a heart for God and a heart for people. And that's the reason why I changed my lifestyle to, to fit what he had to say. I think he just has that type of passion. Now, once you get through baby step number two, step number three, the three to six months, again, the three to six months of living expenses is for security. Okay? Because as some of you might know, and, and through the recession that we've been into, life happens. People lose their jobs. People lose, have pay cuts. People lose hours at work. And it's that three to six months worth of living expenses that helps you maintain yourself until you can get back on track. 
Baby step four is investing 15% uh, of your income in, uh, for retirement. A third of the people offered 401ks do not participate in them. Okay, and it's for a lot of different reasons. And a lot of times it's just because they feel that they cannot afford the extra money to invest. But if your company offers a match, that's the first place you need to invest in baby step number four. And the reason why it's guaranteed money. If you invest $100, they give you $100. Okay, easy math, that's 100% return on your money and it's hard to find anything better. And then you get the return on investment of, of whatever you're invested in. If your company does not have a 401k and you're, you're forced to, to invest on your own, the recommendation is a Roth IRA. Okay? How the Roth IRA works is you invest money now, you get no tax break, but when you go to retire at 65 or whatever age it is, it's all tax free. So if you invest in a traditional IRA, you get the tax break now. To me, I want my account to be as large as possible when I retire, and I want to take it all out free of taxes. Okay? If your company offers a Roth 401k plan, my recommendation would be to invest in that, not the traditional 401k plan. So ask your plan administrator at work if you have those options. Step number five is save for college. My recommendation, as Dave's, again, all my stuff is coming from him, is the College 529 plan. Almost every state has one. It's more flexible. It allows you to do private, public school. It allows you to pass it on if you don't use it all or if a kid doesn't go to school. So it's got a lot of different options, and they're invested in a lot of different type of mutual funds. And then number five, or uh, I'm sorry, number six is to pay off the mortgage. Look at this slide as you're deciding what type of mortgage to get. 15, 30-year loans. At 6% interest on a $250,000 home, if you take the 15-year mortgage, you'll save $143,000 of interest. That's a big deal. Okay, that's a lot of money. That's a lot of years of paychecks to save that interest. So as you focus on if you're buying your first home or you're looking to get a mortgage, try to work your budget out to get that 15-year that loan. Now statistically, a person moves every seven years. So if you take out a 30-year mortgage and you're moving every seven years, guys, you're paying nothing but interest forever. Okay? so. On a 15-year note, that amount of principal every month is greater as you look at your mortgage payment. And then number seven, build wealth and give. 25% uh, of U.S. households, as we discussed before, have a zero or negative net worth. 40% of Americans have less than $10,000 saved for retirement. Okay. Listen, I, I'm not here to get into some kind of political whatever. It's not what it's about. But for me, I'm scared to death of Social Security. I don't know if it's going to be there. I'm not counting on it. And if I, if I get it one day, to me, it's just a icing on the cake. I'm trying to do things myself because I just feel like at that point in time, that might be all we have. And for 46% of Americans to have less than $10,000, 
guys, that, that's not going to go very far. You're, you will not live the life that you deserve to live and God desires for you to live on that type of savings. So follow these baby steps and, and, and get to it. You know, we've got smart people in this church, whether you believe it or not. Mr. Mark Duchesne is a great investment guy. Sherry Dasher does investments. Chad Oliver does mortgages. And there might be more of you out there that, you know, I haven't had the, the pleasure of meeting. But we got people in this church that knows, who does this stuff for a living. And when you have questions, they have giving hearts. They have hearts for people. And they will do more than anything they can do to help you out in these situations. So never feel like you can't go to someone and, and get help in this church. Have short-term and long-term goals. Set out goals where, especially when you're looking at that debt snowball, my goal this year is to get through half of it. My long-term goal is I'm at baby step five in five years. My long-term goal is in 10 years, I've got my mortgage paid off. Set some goals, set them as a family, and really push towards uh, accomplishing them goals. last thing I want to, uh, to deal is, is what is your final goal? You know, we talk a lot of, here about leaving that legacy of faith. And it has to do with being a Christian and passing on those beliefs down to your children and your grandchildren and, and, uh, and, and to your community. But when it comes to financially, what, what is your goal? You know, if you live life like no one else, you eventually get to give like no one else. And for me, that's my goal. I, I want to one day stand before my Savior and him look at me and said, I blessed you with resources and you did the right thing. And you did not ever not give when I told you to give. And it's difficult sometimes because, you know, God can tell you some crazy things sometimes to do. And you look back and you're like, you know what, there's no way that I, I, I can do that. And, and you hold back and you don't do it. But what you fail to do is receive God's blessing for, for being obedient and doing what he tells you to do. 2.7% of evangelical Christians tithe. We've talked about in the Bible, the tithe is 10%. Okay? 2.7% of Christians tithe. You want to know how to put more wells in South America and in Africa? You want to know how to make sure that there's no hungry people in this world? If Christians would just do their job and do what God has told them to do, we would not have these problems. That's my challenge. You know, it, we didn't set up Heritage to pass around an offering plate and to be all about money. We had a pastor who gave up a guaranteed salary to come to nothing and, and to start and do what God told him to do. We had a worship pastor that sold his home and did the same thing. 
Okay? When we're obedient to God, they can tell you God has never not taken care of them. Have that faith. Get rid of that fear and start putting your trust and faith that God will supply all your needs. Luke 6.38 says, Give and you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full, pressed down, shaken together to make room for more, running over and poured into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. Should people cheat God? I'm sorry, 638, I went too far there. What's the next verse? You know, have you ever been raking leaves and you put it in a bag and your kids are helping and you fill it up and, you know, the kids think you're done and then you shake it and you get it all down and you get, press it down, crumble it up, get room for more? That's what God's telling you. That's his promise. Put your trust in me. And I will, your gift will return in full, pressed down, shaken together to make room for more, running over and poured into your lap. That's his desire for you as Christians. That's, he, you know, Dave talked about Proverbs and Solomon, the wisest man and the richest man they said that's ever lived. This is a man of faith. It's a man of God. Don't think that God wants you to struggle in life and to be poor. Okay? God wants the best for you. Now, he's not promising for you to be Bill Gates or Warren Buffett, but he is promising you to supply all your needs that you can live a life that is pleasing to him. Malachi 3.8 says, Should people cheat God? Yet you have cheated me. But you ask, what do you mean? When did you ever... When did we ever cheat you? You have cheated me in the tithes and offerings due to me. I'm not here to judge you, but I'm here to encourage you. And I'm here to share with you that, you know, it, it was easy for me to tithe because it was the way I was raised. For a lot of people who've never been to church, a lot of people who are new Christians and, and really don't understand what tithing is all about, it's a new concept. And you come to a church and you accept Christ and the, and the pastor jumps up in the pulpit and says, well, you're here, buddy. You need to give me 10% of everything you make. That scares people. That puts people in fear. So, you know, the 2.7%, you, you can kind of see the, the reasoning why that figures the way it is. But when, but when you do it and you're programmed it in and it's the first check you write every month and you give God the opportunity to show you that he is in control. I promise you, you will never go without. And, and maybe, maybe you're so fearful right now, you say, I can't, I, I, I can't do it. I don't make enough money or I don't have my expenses. Start being obedient with something, whether it's $5, whether it's 1%, whatever God lays on your heart to begin with, just start. Okay? Allow him to show you what he desires for you. I was reading a, a Christian financial book, and uh, it, it really hit home to me, that his statement. Give according to your income, unless you prefer that God makes your income proportionate to your giving. Okay, I, hmm. 
for some people, that's not where I'd want to be, especially when that number is zero. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 and 7. Remember this. The farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must each decide in your heart how much to give, and don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure, for God loves a person who gives cheerfully. God's not saying to give to me out of fear. He's not saying to give to me because you want something in return. He's just saying put your trust in me. Give as I have told you to give and, and you'll be taken care of. Listen to God to speak to you for opportunities. You might be sitting next to somebody right now that is struggling so bad and, and puts on a front and, and you don't even know it. And if God speaks to you, whether it's he tells you to give money to put a well in South America or whether he tells you to give, you know, a $50 gift certificate to Sydney for somebody in need. Follow God's request. Follow, follow his guidance when it comes to doing things. What could our church do if those who attended Heritage on a regular basis were in a position to tithe as they should, what kind of impact could we have on our community, on our church, and on the world? You know, we do a lot of great things here. We do a lot of community work through Project, uh, Project Legacy, through Operation Bless Wildwood. And when we ask, we give. And not a lot of churches are like that. And that ought to be commended that we have a giving heart at Heritage. From, again, from day one, not once have we gone, you know, I don't know how many square feet we rent, but it's enough to take care of what we're doing right now. And we wait. God, what's next? What are you going to do? Where are you going to send us? And whether it's your personal life, business, or church, when we have that faith in God, we don't worry. You know what, God? If we run out of seats here and you tell us to move there, we know you'll supply the place. We know you'll supply the money. And you'll, you'll take care of us. And from day one, this church has had that faith. I want to show you um, a video now that is, is week 13 of the FPU course. And this video, kind of like no other, just, I mean, tore me, tore me apart of, again, that final goal for me of, of where I want to be in my life financially to do what God wants me to do. Sometimes it feels like life just happens. You know, just random things seem to fill your day. Things with little or no consequence to anyone else. I mean, I know God's in control of my life, but I never really saw how much he was weaving my story with other people's stories, and really into his story. Well, that's all changed. It was a cold day, the kind where you really don't want to have some long conversation outside with someone, especially with someone you don't really know. But that 
that's exactly what God had in mind. Amy and I had just eaten lunch at Dumplings downtown Franklin, and we were walking to the car and we see this couple that I thought I recognized from church. It would have been awkward just to walk by them and not say anything, so we stopped and said hey and did the whole, yeah, yeah, you guys go to fellowship thing, whatever. Well, we start talking and the whole Dave Ramsey thing comes up. They asked us where we were in the process, and I told them that so far we paid off 60000 but still had $10,000 left to go. They asked us what we would do when we were debt-free, and I laughed and told them, well, I told my kids I'd buy them a trampoline, but we really wanted to adopt, and we committed to being debt-free before we did. The whole conversation only lasted about three minutes. It was like, nice to meet you. That was random. Well, the next day, that random person shows up at my office with this brand new trampoline. I couldn't believe it. It was like, my kids are gonna freak. I set it up that night, and my kids jumped on that thing for four hours. I mean, we didn't even know these people. They didn't have to do that. I mean, really, that's pretty generous. Well, the next day, I get an email from the same lady saying, oh, you guys seem like a sharp couple, and we'd love to come by and talk to you about something. I emailed her back and said, that sounds like a multi-level marketing proposal. And if it was, we really weren't interested. Of course, she says it's not that sort of deal, but she was really persistent. She even called Amy. Amy had been sick, and it really wasn't a great time to have company over. Her house is a wreck, and we didn't feel like picking it up. We said everything short of, please don't come over to my house. So they show up, and I'm like, here we go. Let's get this over with. Don't say yes to anything. I couldn't believe they sent their claws into us with that trampoline to get us involved in some pyramid scheme. Anyway, so we small talked for about five minutes, and then right when I thought they were about to drop the bomb, they did. But it wasn't the bomb I was expecting. So the lady says, well, we told you we'd only be a few minutes, and I really don't know how to say this, but we want to pay off your $10,000 left in debt so you guys can adopt. She pulls out her checkbook and goes, how do you spell your guys' names? What? Are you kidding me? Are you for real? I mean, who does that? Who writes somebody a check for $10,000 and gives it to people they don't even know? So they give us a check and they said, just don't act weird around us in church and just don't tell anybody it was us. And they drove off. I mean, Amy and I stood there for 10 minutes in total shock. And we cried and we screamed and we ran all over the yard and the house. Unbelievable. I mean, seriously, it was beyond belief. Nine months later, when we brought Malaya home, the check they wrote us was dated nine months prior to Malaya's due date. They gave us that money right about the time our daughter was conceived. It was like God was saying, I have a baby out there for you right now. I'm not waiting around another two years for you to pay off that debt. We felt called to adopt, but we simply couldn't afford to do it on our own. We found that this random couple had already adopted four children and felt a calling to continue to serve through adoption. Rather than bringing more children into their home, they decided to help others adopt. It didn't just happen. It wasn't random at all. God knew his plan. He had just invited us to walk with him through this process. He was weaving our callings, our stories together for us to love and to care for each other, to make a beautiful tapestry for his glory. Thank you, Jesus.
hopefully we can eventually realize that God don't need our money. He can do whatever he wants to do whenever he wants to do it. God is giving us an opportunity to be obedient to him, to bless other people through us. And once we realize and once we grasp that, uh, grasp the, the biblical truths of his desire for us to live our life, it will change your life. It will change your view on money. It, it will change opportunities to do things that you never thought imaginable for other people. That's my heart's desire for people, for couples that struggle. That's why we hold FPU classes before. That's why you counsel people to get rid of that stress and that heartache in life. Being able to one day to live that life of God telling me to do something and me responding like that, that's my final goal. And my prayer is that it will be everyone's final goal in life. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I, I just thank you for each and every time that I get to, um, just to get to, to speak to people and, and deal with people that go through struggles because I just know the, the life that, uh, that you want them to live. And I, and I know the, the heart you have to bless people. The heart you have that, that people will, you know, just honor you and be obedient to you and, and have faith that you'll just take care of every need they have. I pray for, um, I pray for our church, I pray for our people, I pray for our country that we'll just get a, a glimpse of, of going away from the way we live life right now, that, that we will just understand that you want us to have the finer things in life, but it's going to take being a good steward of the resources, whether it's our time, our talents, our, our money, that once we give that to you and allow you to be in control of it and to be good stewards, that that is when you will give us more and you'll give us more opportunities to live the life you want us to live. I pray that something today is, is at home with each and every person. I just pray that there will just be one little, one little nugget that they can take home and, and maybe, maybe change their life. I pray that um, we will begin to use your resources for your glory and not ours. I just thank you. I thank you for our church. I thank you for our pastor. I thank you for um, our staff that gives their time uh, above and beyond anything that we could ever imagine. And I thank you for blessing our church, the fact that we have no debt. You know, I hear so many people talk about the struggles of churches because they have these huge mortgages that they can't, they can't afford, and churches end up shutting down because they haven't used your resources for your benefit. And I just pray that each of us will go home and just take a, a deep, hard look inside and, and, and see what we can do to improve 
on the way we uh, handle your money and, and your possessions. I just thank you for this day, and I just thank you for this opportunity. In your name we pray. Amen.